Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on a uh, special live stream here on the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Um, I thought it was important to have kind of an open panel discussion about that. And we've invited some friends and some really great researchers and experts um, in the field of 9-11. And uh, we are joined, as always, by my co-host, Eric. Eric, how's it going, man? Good, good. Nice uh, Sunday and nice, nice light stream to talk about 9-11 21 years later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's still, it, we think it's still important. Um, and we're also joined by the host of Naturalist Capitalist and the Four Horsemen, Mr. Reed Coverdale. Reed, how you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Not you sure just what I'm going to be able to add, but <laughs> I'll try. Well, you and Adam just did a really great stream on your channel. So thanks for you know doing that and telling everyone to come here and also making the schedule work with uh, Adam because we we kind of accidentally double booked, but it worked out. And we're also joined by Adam Fitzgerald. Adam, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, great, great to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. So it seems like now with 9-11 researchers or anybody um, who's willing to politically talk about 9-11 in a, a way that's more outside of the mainstream or what the media covers every year, it's important and it's incumbent on us to talk about it near or on the anniversary because that's when there seems to be a lot of attention, you know, given to it. So I think having a stream to talk about it is a worthwhile thing, you know, even on the day of, especially on the day of. Mm. So one of the things I wanted to touch on tonight, um, what's really struck me recently is, is talking to younger people who weren't even around when 9-11 happened and their perception of it. Um, I talked to, I have a, a very close friend who has a teenage daughter and I was over the house recently and I just kind of mentioned, you know, what do you, she's in high school. I said, what do you guys, how are you taught about 9-11, about the day of 9-11? Like, what do the teachers say? What does that look like? And she said, they don't really say much of anything. Hmm. So there, there's a whole generation of people who weren't even born, you know, when it happened. And I feel like the memory holding and the really important information is going to totally slip away from that generation. And it just seems like they, the schools aren't really doing a great job. I mean, they've never done a great job at teaching mm. anything historical accurately or with a different perspective. But it seems like something as important as, important as 9-11, the further we get away from it, um, the less and less people know. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Adam? I'm a little bit surprised at it because there's some uh, it's, the the question is very interesting because I never really thought about like how would 9/11 be viewed in the public sphere or in the educational sphere and um I would think that would be pretty receptive because for one it basically is uh something that does touch on everybody it's a very global incident and a national incident more importantly a national incident and basically it is a very morbid uh, story, whereas like high school kids would be a little bit more interested in like learning about it. Um, until uh, you know, recently I you know I was made aware of a video uh, about I think it was college kids or something like that that basically um, were talking about 9/11, and to my horror, uh, they didn't even know who attacked us, and I'm like, my God, they, they don't even know the basics. Um, so. That adds a lot of new uh, insight into how do we teach 9-11 to even high school students, much less kids, which, you know, we have to be careful there. Um, so I, I, I couldn't tell you, basically. I, I, I don't know 
uh, how we could go about it and um, how we can basically reach high school children. Like, where would you start? First of yeah. all, what could be taught and whatnot. You know, that's a good question because I, I, I don't know really to tell you the truth. And what can we, what, what actually could we be allowed to teach? I was that's just going to say, yeah, teachers. I mean, if a teacher tries to be based or tries to at least show something that's outside of the accepted narrative, what's going to happen to them? Like what, mm. what kind of, what kind of ramifications are they going to have? Uh, I mean, Reed, your old man is a, I believe a history or an English teacher in public school. English have teacher. You, he's an English teacher. Have you ever talked to him about any of this or how, how his students or where he teaches, how they deal with that? Um, not really. I mean, he, we had just gotten, we had just moved to Sanofi when nine 11 happened. It was his first year uh, teaching there and he didn't really um, I mean he was kind of focused on the new job and it didn't really hit him as the the relevant topic that it was because when he first heard it he thought it was just an accident like a lot of people did when it was just the first plane and then the second plane hit and he still hadn't heard a ton about it but then by the mid-afternoon everyone was watching the television and then it was like oh man this is kind of serious I actually remember that was the only year before high school that I was in public school. I'd been, I was homeschooled until high school. Um, but second grade I actually went to public school and I was seven years old when it hit. And, um, we, we went through the whole day of school in elementary school and then, uh, took the bus over to the high school where my dad was. And he, we didn't have television back then. We just had, uh, we didn't have cable or anything at our house. Um, so we just watched the replay of the towers getting hit and falling down in the library at the high school. And that was how I saw it. Um, but for me, the biggest thing with 9-11 is, you know, there's all the hashtag never forget. But I don't really see the value in never forgetting if you never learn or if you never, you know, change. <laughs> and we haven't yeah. changed at all. I, I read uh, I, I was at I was in Concord today and at an anti-war uh, rally it was a defend the guard rally and i read osama bin laden's fatwa and after i read it i was like how much of that is different now you know he was basically complaining that we were occupying muslim lands sanctioning muslim nations and uh had undying support for israel and all their aggression to surrounding countries <laughs> i was like okay if that's right. what they were upset about in 98 uh, you know, 24 years later, we really haven't changed anything at all. And now we've done the same thing with Russia that we did to Osama bin Laden. It's not like Putin and people, you know, his predecessors like Russian, the Russians in general have been very explicit. Look, if you keep pushing us, we're going to do something eventually. And now they have. And now uh, this one, we haven't completely fucked up yet. But China is the same way. Xi Jinping has told Biden do not play with fire. You know, you're going to regret it in relation to Taiwan. And we don't care. Nancy Pelosi flew over there anyway. Still are, you know, sending aircraft carriers into the South China Sea. So I don't know. I don't think we've learned anything. I mean, we're just repeating all the same mistakes. But instead of taking on Al Qaeda or even Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever, now we're taking on Russia and China. So it's just like, Jesus Christ. I don't it's know. Like it's completely homicidal. It. Yeah, it's completely psychopathic and, and, uh, homicidal isn't it i i would agree man I, I don't know that we've really learned anything and i think part of that problem is how 
the younger generations are taught about something as important as 9-11. Obviously, 9-11 is our generation's, I know it's cliche, Pearl Harbor or whatever type big event that really defined, um, you know, it's certainly the last 21 years uh, of all of our lives. So it's uh, it's too bad. It's, it's, it's an injustice that happened. And it's an injustice the way that a lot of people understand the event and just the basic facts of it. Um, you know, like Adam, that video there that I, I think you were saying Darren Harvey posted it um, yeah. about those college kids who were probably 18, 19, 20 years old uh, who just have no clue about even the basics of it. And it just shows you, I mean, 21 years, it wasn't really that long ago. It feels like yesterday in a lot of respects. Yeah. Um, but it, for people who were that age, that might as well have been, I mean, it's before they were born. So it might as well have been a whole different universe, you know, or, or lifetime. Yeah, I think so. You know, um, it's also a discerning uh, uh, problem because we have, we're, we're washed with disinformation online, right? So you would think that we wouldn't be, but we, we unfortunately, we are. And at the same time, uh, we're trying to obtain information. I always said uh, that there are, we're fighting a war on two fronts. So one, one is a war for disinformation against disinformation, which is a time waster. And one is a war for information, which we're trying to obtain from the federal government, which is a worthy war, a war that we're trying to obtain the truth in. And what happened is in between, there's a lot of people getting caught in between the both of these battles. And so it's like creating these generation, uh, generations of generations of people who are either poorly misinformed because they're not getting the information or disinformed by the disinformation that is out there. And if you're not careful enough to discern what is fact and fiction, because you need a lot of time to discern when you fact check things, and a lot of people have, you know, they're married or they have a job, maybe even two jobs, so they don't have much time, like an hour or two. You know, it's time is of uh, the essence, especially if you have kids, forget it, it's even worse off. And the powers that be know that. And so they play into that. And that's why people who have like huge platforms in these fringe areas of the viral media, they're not stopped by like the CIA and the NSA because they're doing the work for them, whether they realize it or not. And of course, the federal government is using the media as an extension of just showing you the basic bare minimum of 9-11, you know, like, as, um, as you said before, Reed said before, never forget, you know, never forget. Well, you can't forget what you don't learn. And what happens is over time, you basically either have a bunch of people that don't know what really happened on 9-11, or you have a bunch of people that are basically thinking they know what happened or basically poorly misinformed. And so this is what creates that generational problem that we saw with JFK. It's unfortunately happening here with 9-11. And I think that's and that's a problem that I'm trying to rectify, but I'm a small guy, so I don't well, that's it. They and you're exactly right, Adam. They they hear uh, see a meme or hear something. Oh, do you know about the trillions of dollars that was missing at the Pentagon? And they, you know mm. they they see it on a meme of Donald Rumsfeld, and they don't have any any context or any idea. So that's you know that's one of the things that if you're a serious researcher of geopolitics and 9/11 and the war machine and empire that you're up against, because you're absolutely right. A lot of those people, they're doing the, the jobs for the intelligence agencies in the FBI. They don't even need COINTELPRO anymore. They got Twitter. You know, they got useful idiots on social media who just, as you said so many times, Adam, did you know a third building fell that day? You said that to me <laughs> when we were we were down in Virginia. And it's just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, man, you know, you, you think you're 
people think they're being edgy and they're telling you something you've never heard of about World Trade Center Building 7 and you lead with that shit, man. That's the stuff that, that makes you look the most insane and, and crazy. And you're doing the bidding of the intelligence agencies when I know the truth about 9-11. Another building fell that day that wasn't hit by a plane. You know, meanwhile, you're ignoring all the amazing and real information that you focus on, you know, that we focus on, that Dawson focuses on, that is the real serious stuff that people need to know about. And, and the good stuff gets lost and swept up in all the bullshit. Right. Now, it's, it's, also to add on that, if I may, Eric, is that um, there, there are like, unfortunately, after 21 years, you'd think we have like a bunch of people that we referred to. Unfortunately, I could probably name maybe six or seven people I would actually recommend with a few of them, hopefully coming here tonight. Um, but I can name you 50, 60 people that I would never recommend. And this is the attention that's being paid. Now that start. now they had a real big head start. We're talking about 2002 when they started pumping out like no plane hitting the Pentagon and stuff like that. Uh, CGI airplanes and all this stuff basically was watched by the mass public. And like I said, creating that generational approach of misinformed people. Um, what, what we're trying to do is basically right the ship, so to speak. And so I'd be, we're fighting against an avalanche, but the effort is there and the effort is noble. But like I said, it is a war that we can't afford because it takes time. And time is not of the essence. Because with each passing year past the initial date of 9-11, these people are getting away with murder, literally murder. Yeah, exactly. They continue to get away with it, and the really good information gets memory hold, and then, you know, people move on with their lives. And I remember I was talking to my uncle, who um, really pointed me in the direction of uh, certainly, you know, urban movers and a lot of really critical information about Israel very early on. And I said, yeah, you know, he said, well, what are you guys up to on your podcast lately? I said, oh, you know, we... We touch a little bit about the JFK assassination, and he was like, "JFK assassination? You might as well be talking about the Lincoln assassination," you know. And, yeah. I, and that speak that speaks to the amount of time that goes by. Um, but yeah, for tonight, I mean, I certainly you know invited you guys. I invited um, uh, Ray Nowoshelski, who I think was one of the producers of Press for Truth, or yes. was part of that. Yes. He was right. part of that, and that's I, I point a lot of people who maybe aren't as familiar with this information to that film. 9-11 Press for Truth, which I believe came out in 2006. And that just, you know, that details the family members and the family steering committee who attended all the 9-11 commission hearings. And even before that, they were the ones who had to friggin' they lost a loved one or a spouse on 9-11, and they had to drive down from New Jersey or New York down to Washington, D.C. to try to lobby members of Congress to even mm. investigate the attacks because the Bush administration did not want to have an investigation into 9-11. And it was the family members who really pushed for that, for the creation of some kind of commission. And we can get into the commission. Obviously, it, it was deeply flawed. And I, I think it was a, a whitewash. And they ignored all kinds of stuff. Or they knew about information. And they chose not to talk about it. Um, but they really were the, you know, proje- uh, the, the, you know the original 9-11 truth movement was the family members. And it's become so diluted. And, and you know, people have pet theories that, you know, you try to tell people this information, they don't even want to go near it because they're like, oh, you think this theory or that theory. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's part of the problem, too. Yeah, and it's a problem that we can't afford. I mean, like, uh, I love the I like how you bring up the uh, the uh, the Jersey widows, as they were called, uh, that they were the original truthers. And they never called themselves truthers either. They just no. called themselves, you know, what they were by their names. And, 
Uh, Mike, Mindy Kleinberg was one, and I always forget some of their names. Um, uh, Lori Van Auken, Lori Patty Van Sosa, Mindy Kleinberg, and um, Monica Gabriel, I believe. Oh, very uh, right. Now, listen, if they were Arabic names, I probably remember them, but American <laughs> names, I can't. You know, Dude, your command on the Arabic names, man. And and, and there's another <laughs> aspect of this I want to touch on. On um, I'm probably going to butcher this. Isam Ghazawi down in Sarasota, who owned that house that three of the hijackers oh, yeah. were partying in. I want to get to that, but I, I want to stay on the the Jersey. They were dubbed the Jersey Girls by the press, which is yeah. that's a, you know like a sexy name or some kind of name to get attention. But let me tell you, these ladies all lost their husbands uh, in the towers, I believe. And you want to talk about sharp, well researched, um, you know, information and questions. They said after the whole deal that. Seven, not only were 70% of their questions not answered, they weren't even asked. And right, right. these were the people who actually fought to put this thing together. And when they saw that the Bush administration um, wanted to put Henry Kissinger as the head of the commission, they were like, hell no. Hell no, you're not yeah. going to get Henry Kissinger. Let's talk about his Saudi clients. And then they, they recoiled. But they replaced him with Philip Zelikow, who is a, a national security hawk someone who was promoting war with Iraq and co-wrote a book with Condoleezza Rice. So he wasn't much better, you know, a guy who, who, who do pedals and myths. So it shows you from the get go that the thing was fucked from jump street and that there was never really a chance or an intention to get to the truth, you know, with the nine 11 commission and they were underfunded. Um, the staff was being directed by Zelikow where to look. And I think another guy named Eric may, Oh, you're going to look at this area, but you're not going to look at this area. And, you know, you had, you had a guy, Max Cleland, who resigned, calling it a national disgrace. Yeah, look, um, and it just seemed like after that, Eric, it just seemed that after that, uh, the Jersey Widows and what they were able to accomplish, um, immediately after you saw all this, like, really outlandish theories that took precedent over the truth movement ever so slowly in the beginning, and then with the film Loose Change and In Plain Sight in 2006, they basically purported that, you know, some of the hijackers may be alive, that a plane really didn't hit the Pentagon. And that all came from the original purporters of this. That's the French author Thierry Mason, who wrote the book Le Pentgate. And, of course, Alex Jones and Jim Fetzer and Ace Baker and Morgan Reynolds and John Lear. And who did the media interview? Did they mm -hmm. interview Paul Thompson? Did they interview... Um, Kevin, um, um, Kevin Fenton. No, they interviewed who? They Morgan interviewed Reynolds. Kevin Barrett. Yeah, Morgan Reynolds. Jim, Jim Fetzer. Jim Fetzer. Yeah, and all the yeah. real, like the real people pushing these ridiculous theories. And what did this do? This basically said that the truth movement is full of nut jobs, and they're all like this because they dared question the government narrative. And if you dare question the government narrative. You're a nut job just like them. And right, basically, get... not everybody's just like them. We got questions no. too. You know, I like to think I'm not a nut job or you, Mike, or you, Reed. I mean, we're just I'm a nut job. People. Oh, you are? <laughs> you just, really? Just not about this stuff, just different stuff. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned okay. loose change. I, I did invite Jason Burmis, and um, he responded and said he's probably going to be doing a stream. But I said, even if you can pop in for 15 or 20 minutes, you know, we'd love to just discuss. Um, any area of 9-11 you want. Obviously, you know, Adam, you have your disagreements with Burma, so I don't agree with Burma on everything, um, but he is an old friend of mine, and hopefully he joins. But oh, I'd, love, I'd love to have him on. I, I don't, you know, I'm not here to denigrate him. Uh, yeah. do, I, do, I, do I have critiques of his points? Absolutely. Sure. But I, you know, like I, I'm not in this for 
contrarian-style themed debates. I'm not in this to make like money off of anybody. I What I do basically when I created my own viral media is basically show information and I'm not showing anything that new or anything. It's public information, but it's the information that is actually blanketed by these outlandish conspiracy theories. And it's unfortunate because we can know some truths. We can't know all truths, but we can know some truths. Yeah, definitely. And Adam, we have a super chat question here for you oh. from JC. Thank you, JC. I was pleasantly surprised to see Adam on Infinite Fringe's 9-11 roundtable but was disappointed you didn't get a chance to debate Richard Gage on there. How'd you feel overall yeah. about that discussion, Adam? Um, actually, I was invited by Billy Ray Valentine, if you know who he is. He's, he, he's known in the uh, truth movement. I actually met him today on Ground Zero physically for the first time. And I knew about him. I didn't know much about him. I knew that Richard Gage, uh, he interviewed Richard Gage, and that I reached out to him. And basically, he met me first because I was actually on a show called um, with Ricky Verandas. And I forgot the name of the show that he was uh, chairing. And Ricky Verandas actually um, has been around a very long time. And Is I that the gathering, the of, gathering of the Unwanted or Ripple yeah, Effect? Great. Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. So I was invited on that show, but I wasn't originally supposed to be on that show because that show was uh, supposed to have Brian McGlinchey on. And that was, I think, a year ago for a night of the anniversary. But Glitchy couldn't go, and he asked me to replace him, and I did. And I brought Nelson Martins with me. Jason Burmis was on there for a little bit. He actually left. And then this Billy Ray Valentine said, well, who is this Adam Fitzgerald guy? I want to know more about him. And But, you know, he didn't really get in contact. Fast forward a year later, I, just, like, I think it was a month and a half ago, he interviews Richard Gage, and I actually sent a comment to him saying, you know, Gage didn't say, you know, I, I just want to fill in some blanks that he missed, right, or he got wrong. And he says, why don't you come on my show and talk about it? I said, well, absolutely, more than willing. So two months later, you know, we're right near the anniversary. It was this week, and he says, um, hey, are you, you remember me? You remember this? So I said, yeah, absolutely. So the night before, he sends me, he, he texts me, he says, oh, and by the way, I don't know how you are with Richard Gage. He's going to join us. And I was like, Really? Oh, my God, I can't believe he's going to have me on the stream. Absolutely. I couldn't wait. And like a giddy little schoolgirl, I'm waiting in <laughs> my bed. And, you know, I couldn't wait for this moment. And so the next day, I'm on the um, I'm on this, uh, like, in a waiting room for StreamYard. And there's, like, five people. And I'm like, well, I think this is going to be, like, a five-on-one or something. And the Richard Gage shows up. And Richard Gage says, hello to everybody. And all of a sudden, he looks at me. And he says, What's he doing here? He goes, oh, fuck. <laughs> and he basically did this. Now, Billy Ray Valentine knows him for six years. And yeah. Richard Gage's face was from to this real quick. Wow. And he looked at Billy Ray Valentine and he said this. And I'm not joking. You know, I, I'm not picking on Gage here. Was I'm this live, Adam? Public, but this actually was true. Was this live when this happened? Yeah, no, it was not recorded. Oh, record. it was not recorded. Oh. But this, like, I, I was disappointed with Gage here. Now, I, I don't know him personally. It's not a personal attack. I don't know him personally. Yes, I vehemently disagree with his points. But he <laughs> actually said this to Billy Ray Valentine. Either it's him or it's me. Make a choice. Like, really demanding like that. The room was silent. And just wow. like, they didn't know what to do. So I said, all right, I, I, I'll tell you. I said, 
I'll, I'm going to leave, Billy. I said, you can always contact me. It, Richard Gage has like a conference tonight. You know, let, let him go on, let him talk and whatnot. And Billy said, hey, listen, I'm sorry. He was like really red-faced. Um, and basically, uh, Richard Gage says, I don't want him here because he attacks me. And I said, Mr. Gage, I don't attack you. I attack your points. And he says, no, you attack me. And I, I didn't want to go further because I don't care for gossip and stuff. So I said, Billy, you know, just con you want me back on, fine. I leave. About an hour later, he invites me back on. And basically, uh, we had a discussion. Now, Gage only talks about one thing. World Trade Center 7, one, World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7. That's it. Nothing else. He may, he'll talk about COVID before he talks about 9-11. Wow. I come on. And basically, for the next 40 minutes, they asked me about my thoughts. And all the kids said, what do you think about certain things in 9-11? It was like, you know, turn on switch. I go on for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> and it was a great discussion. They're, yeah. they're all in, in the room, and they're like, oh, this is fantastic. The stream ends. And then for the next hour and a half in the waiting room, some of them stood by, and I told them about 13 different anomalies with 9-11, and they never heard of any of them. Hmm. You know what, Adam? That, that's that's something that's so refreshing about you, man. You don't you don't get into the the petty bullshit and the egos and the drama right. and all that. And, and that's that's one of the things I respect about you and your work so much. Oh. And, and that is needed. And that is needed in this. We're dealing with serious shit. Yeah. And look, like I'm, I'll be the first. You know, I'm a clown. I'm a comedian. I'm a joker. I'm not that serious. But this shit is serious. And the best information, you know, Mike, as you always say, the cream's going to rise to the top. And all those people that you've mentioned before, Adam, we talked about them on our trip. We spent 20 hours in a little car together with Reed. Mm. Just 20 hours, you know, I'll, I'll never soon forget Reed. I'll never forget it. But no. they had a, a lot of people had a head start ahead of, of Adam Fitzgerald and Nelson and serious researchers who aren't going to peddle bullshit and, and peddle fairy tales and disinformation. So... You know, it, it's happening. You're putting out the best information. You're reading all the documents. You're presenting it to people, and it's having an impact, man. People are people are taking notice, and I bet you, those people who were listening to you and the stuff that you said, you said they didn't hear about it. I bet you afterwards, man, they were like, "Holy fuck, that was like a that was like a gut punch from that Adam Fitzgerald guy." You know? The yeah. Trip tonight that Adam brings to a 9/11 coot conversation is Khalid Al Madar and Nawaf Al Hazmi. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny, uh, Reed, is that um, when I first started with 9-11 back in 2006, there was very few people out there speaking about it from the uh, deeper geopolitical angle. And one, one website that I came across was the James Randi Educational Forum, JREF. And um, they would talk about physics and stuff. And these were like, you know, brilliant minds. I'm like, OK, I'm intimidated by this. You know, I'm not interested in that math and stuff that scares me you know um i'm more into the psychological angle i'm more into the who done it and why so i said you know what i don't know anything about my mother. so i started studying about these people that were involved with the hijackers themselves and it led me deeper into uh led me to the intelligence apparatus and it led me into foreign policy aspect. and then you know it was a branch out effect and you know 16 years later here i am but one thing that it did for me, and I'm not saying this is going to happen to you or anybody else, but for me it did. It basically dulled my senses and emotions. And I'm glad in a way it did because I became very detached from the gossip and detached from the emotional diatribe. 
Um, I'm very quick with a block sometimes. More probably that's a, a negative at times. Uh, but I don't suffer fools and I don't suffer nonsense because one thing I saw with 9-11 was that a lot of people made a mockery of it by promoting these ridiculous theories. And right. I'm very straightforward and I want to know what happened because it's a serious event. And the only way we can get through uh, to finding out what happened with 9-11 is to cut through all the bull crap yeah. and basically just deliver the information straightforward without any prejudices and biases or divisive worldviews behind it. Hey, if you don't right. like where this is going, if it's not Israel enough for you or it's not Arabic enough for you, too damn bad. But you yeah. know what? It's a mixture of everything in between, which, yeah. you know, could bring a lot of people together. But right. unfortunately, it's not. I mean, people love it simple. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a quick story, just a real quick story. I was in our chat room one time. This is basically just tells you the mindset of some people. Um, Ed Brotherton of We Are Change LA basically um, author, he opened up a room, a chat room, and he wanted two very prominent truthers to show up here. One from architects and engineers and one who's involved with street activism. And he's all over the place. And he's a big, big voices in the truth movement. And I'm not going to say their names because I want to embarrass them. Well, anyway, Jed said, just listen to Adam just for, you know, he's going to tell you as much as he could in an hour. I had 51 minutes and I told him everything from 1990 to 2001 in short order. The first question I got was from this person from Architects and Engineers. And the first question was, could you simplify it? I looked at this person and I said, I did. <laughs> now, well, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of nuance that goes into this, right. Adam, as you know, man. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. No, yet. no, it's fine. I was just saying, if I could simplify 9-11, I wouldn't have pulled most of my hair out and looked like, you know, Vincent Price at this point physically and, uh, you know, through the stress and all that. And I wouldn't have like, a, you know, 80 books on my bookshelf outside about all these different topics. 9-11 is a complicated issue and it's supposed to be because it involves so many players and so many reasons, so many lies and so many truths are being hidden from us. And then we got to make up our mind what to believe and what not to believe and how to research and all that. Because if we just simplify 9-11, we're not getting any answers. And, you know, I, I, unfortunately, yeah, it's a complicated issue, but we can know, like I said before, we can know some truths. You just got to put in some work. I'm not asking you all, look, I'll give you some motivation. I'm not a smart guy. You know, I'm not an, an expert. I'm not a teacher. I I'm a disagree student. on both of those things. But. I'm, a student. <laughs> I'm a student of this affair, and I'm always learning something. And, you know, what I got over most people, time. That's it. That's all I have. Yeah, you have the time to really dig in and try and suss things out. Um, and, yeah, you know, like we were saying earlier, the mainstream media hasn't done a good job at all at bringing people good information. But what's interesting to me is sometimes – on a page six or a page seven, you do find some kernels of truth and some nuggets of information. And um, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but the New York Post had a great article like a year ago about um, three of the hijacker pilots and their uh, doings down in Sarasota at that house I was alluding to earlier. In they the had Gated a great Union. article about the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire recently too. <laughs> I, I did see that, yeah. But isn't it weird how rags like the New York Post and the freaking Daily Mirror or Daily Mail, whatever the hell it's called, they have like the best information about Epstein and about some of the more salacious stuff with the hijackers. Um, you know, that's interesting like with Muhammad Atta when you're talking about 
his you know his girlfriend down in Florida who was a stripper, Amanda Keller, um, and some of her stories, which Daniel Hopsicker dug up. That's why I wanted to invite him tonight. Um, I'm not I had didn't hear back from him. We've had him on the program before, and I think his work is 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 invaluable. I mean, it's it's uh, he he gets into the nitty gritty on on what was going on uh, down in Florida. Um, but yeah, I was I was looking at an article the New York Post put up, and they were talking about Muhammad Atta, Marwan Al Shahi, and Ziad Al Jara. Uh, going to this house at this gated community that was owned by a Saudi businessman who was connected to the Saudi royal family. Um, I met uh, Isam Ghazawi, and I'm sure I messed that name up, whose daughter, I think, lived there with her husband and maybe a child. And they were host to these hijackers. They were partying there. I mean, the house is swanky. I mean, it's on the market. It was on the market, if you want to check it out, folks. It was like 600 grand they sold it for. But the family left the premises two weeks before the 9-11 attacks happened. So that leads me to believe that they knew something big was coming or they were at least the husband was probably part of the planning or logistical support, even peripherally, peripherally. And then in 2003, they quietly go back and they, they sell the place on the market. And the FBI releases all this information in 2013. And then seven, eight years later, the New York Post just does some obscure article about it. Like that's the kind of shit that sometimes gets through the goalposts, and and I and for me, that's like earth-shattering great information, but you don't even really hear about it. No, and I'm, I love that you bring this up because it's such an obscure part of 9/11, and it's huge because it actually is another avenue to the link to the Saudi Kingdom. Um, but let me let me go a little bit further about Isam Ghazawi. Uh, go Isam into it, Adam. Yeah, Isam Ghazawi is actually an advisor to uh, a family member of King Fahd, who's the king of Saudi Arabia. And I think uh, the name of the street on that uh, Sarasota uh, house is Escondido Drive. I just don't know the house number on it. But basically what happened was in the year 2001, um, the FBI basically after 9-11 uh, went and subpoenaed some video records of the security gate leading up to the house. And what they found something was very interesting. They found that a number of cars that were driven by some of these hijackers like Muhammad Atta, Ziad Jara, Marwan Al-Shehi, Hamburg Cell, all the pilots are basically visiting this individual named Abdul Aziz Al-Hijj. Now, Abdul, Abdul Aziz Al-Hijj um, apparently had a, um, was married to the Ghazawi's daughter named um, uh Anud. Yeah, I know that one. And basically, um, her I'm sorry, no. Um, she's married to Abdulaziz Al-Hijj. Anud is basically the daughter is the daughter of Ghazawi. And what happened was just days before 9-11, I think a week or two before 9-11. Under two weeks, yeah. Yeah, the under two weeks. This family just moved so fast out of the house. It left behind everything, cars furniture and everything and you makes you wonder like wow you know they because the house like you said before is beautiful i saw pictures of it i i didn't even know how big it was it's, it's tremendous and basically left behind i think like two cars in the garage a bunch of, of couches and sofas inside i mean lots of furniture so they flew to saudi arabia what happened was the fbi uh, uh got hold of these uh uh video uh security videos and all these cars that were driven by these uh, Hamburg pilots were visiting Abdulaziz Al-Hijj, even sometimes smoking dope with him, weed and stuff like that. 
And so they go, the FBI basically interviewed the Al-Hidge family and said that they had absolutely no uh, links to the uh, Hamburg cell, never saw them before, and never did nothing. Now, there was a, um, a reporter out of Florida named Anthony Summers who basically um, knew uh, a counterterrorism source who told them back in 2000, I think, 11, that the FBI had provided proof uh, not just to um, the Department of Justice showing a link between the Saudi government, the Al-Hidge family, and the Maverick cell, but they had pictures to go along with it because when they ripped the video out of the skidio cameras, they had all these pictures of Ziad Jarrah, Mawan al-Shi, Muhammad Atta, all the very same people that Abdulaziz Al-Hidge basically said he never met. Meanwhile, they're in his house smoking weed with him Hanging out with them for a number of days. Yeah. Dude, could you imagine one of those parties? Like what that was like? What you know, what kind of music do you think they listened to, Eric? They had um, techno. Yeah, they had like house house rave. Uh, Desert Rose by Sting and Chad Mendy. Yeah, Desert Rose by Sting. Exactly. Yeah, and that's you know wow. the, the, the 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 hijackers in Florida, Adam, has always fascinated me. I've been very much into uh, Daniel Hopsiger's research since since college. Oh. And there's other people down there. There's a lawyer down in Florida. I forget his name. But he's done some really interesting on the ground work, like visiting these like a cell phone store that the hijackers were at, um, places they used to hang out at. Um, and just the fact that when Ata shows up in July of 2000, you know, Wally Hilliard's plane gets busted with 43 pounds of heroin. I mean, that, that's a, that's another nugget that just is like so oh. underreported and just not even known about or understood that out of all the flight schools these guys could have been sent to or could have chosen to train at. It's at Huffman Aviation, which isn't too far from Sarasota, and right. there's all these drug-running connections. So it just opens up another portal of intrigue that goes back to Iran-Contra and even way before that, really. Yeah, you know what also, too, is that um, at the same time, not to just pick on the Arabs here, Israeli intelligence actually was monitoring these uh, individuals in Florida. And yeah. there's a memo out there. I, I know I said this before. I'll say it again for the people in the room. Um, there's a memo that I'd love for you to, to read. It's called the Gerald Shea Memo. And he's actually a, a retired lawyer in California, San Obispo, I believe. He actually, on his own dime, did a private investigation into the art student ring that was out, actually all throughout the Southwest and Northeast that were following members of the Hamburg cell. In fact, for those who don't know, when the dancing Israelis got caught on East Rutherford Parkway and arrested by Scott DiCarlo and Des Rebelli, one of the uh, individuals that were arrested in the truck had a license uh, that was traced back to Hollywood, Florida, which was 30 miles north of where Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Atta and Moen al-Shehi were staying in. Mm. And so that shows you a link that they were close by to these people. Well, the Gerald Shea memo went a little bit further. And what they did was basically show 250 and more agents within this art student ring were basically all throughout not just Florida, but in Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Alabama, New York, New Jersey, Virginia, and Maryland. And they were all using moving front companies, like these moving companies. They were legit. They were small, but they were fronts for these Israeli art students who basically were operatives. And some of them actually turned out to have intelligence with signals intelligence. Right. And so they were living close by to these people all the time. And on top of them, you have the Saudis. Now, the question is, were they working together, the Saudis and Israelis, or were they running their own operations in, uh, separately? I don't know, because we'll never get to know, because we deported all these people 
on right. immigration visa violations. If uh, if Robbie Martin uh, does drop in, Mike, he's he's really got the goods on all that. All the movement mm. of the Israelis mirroring the hijackers. I mean, maybe Adam, you know about this too. I mean, some of the Israelis lived in New Jersey too, while some of the hijackers were there, and and they were watching them. Right? Not just Florida. Yeah. Yeah, this is you know you're absolutely right. In fact, um, um, I I wrote an article. All I did was basically take the FBI redacted uh, memos about the dancing Israelis and put it in chronological order and filled in the blanks. It's one of my longest articles, but it basically shows that there were actually Israelis in New Jersey that I, I think rented a rider truck or something like that, rented a moving truck to try and free like these two Israelis that were caught in a um uh, um urban moving systems vehicle. And that it was stolen or something like that. I don't quote me on the details, but I think that's basically the case. So they go there with this bail money. And I think it was the summer of 2001 and basically go there. And they're actually detained at the same time for some crime or something like that. And what happened was somebody big in New Jersey that they knew uh, freed them all, got them all out. And we mm -hmm. don't know who that is because the name is redacted. Yeah. Right. It wasn't yeah. Chertoff, was it? So, uh, if he has a house in New Jersey, I, I don't know. I guess, but um, it wasn't Chris Christie. He was trying to investigate the Kushners, and that did not go so well. That did not. The Kushners, the Kushners are a mafia unto themselves that a lot of people don't. Reed, realize. did you get did you get a, a turnout today in Concord? Did people come out? Yeah, uh, share the screen with you in a second here. Um, try to show you a picture. Um, Little baby McArdle, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll get a picture up on the screen. But yeah, there were um, there were probably like around a hundred people there. I'd say maybe maybe a little less than that. Um, but it, unfortunately, it was mostly um, you know inside baseball. It, there weren't a lot of like uh, viewers there. It was all us, you know. Like it was a lot of. Um, but I spoke. Uh, Justin O'Donnell spoke. Jeremy Kaufman spoke. Uh, Derek Poulot spoke. Um, and Ben Weir spoke. I don't know. I know you guys know some of those people. Um, and it was, it was good. Um, here, I'm finding the picture right now. Yeah. There were some Fenton people there too, Reed? Bruce Fenton? Yeah. Actually, uh, oh, uh, one of our old mutual friends, Kathy Peterson. I haven't seen her since the Tulsi days, but she was there. So we had a reunion. That was great. She's awesome. She's based. Yes. So Reed was Reed was at a thing today uh, about supporting defend the guard, uh, which is to basically take get state power to stop the Fed from sending our national guard troops overseas to die in these Middle East wars and fight yeah, in these can, wars of adventure. Uh, kind of, uh, right in the nine eleven, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I uh, basically what defend the guard legislation does is it makes it illegal for the federal government to send. Uh, National Guard troops to war unless they actually declare an official war, which hasn't happened. So I was corrected. I, I, in my speech, I said that hasn't happened since December 8th, 1941. That's not actually correct because December 8th, 1941 uh, is when we declared war on Japan, but we actually did declare war in 1943. It was all the same war. It was part of World War III, but we ended up expanding the declaration of war to uh, a few other countries in 1943. But since 1943, 79 years ago, we have not officially declared war anywhere like Vietnam, um, Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, none of it. It's all been police action or 
use of military force, but never actually a declared war. Um, or proxy. Yeah. Well, even those, though, those aren't declared wars. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'll fund somebody or something, but we'll never actually, uh, we'll never actually congressionally like. declare it. And it, it takes a 60% um, majority or, you know, 60% majority or whatever to actually uh, declare war. And you're really putting your ass on the line when you put your name on a declaration of war and you're representing your your state or your, uh, you know, your district, depending on if you're a congressman or a, uh, a senator or whatever. So it's a big deal when you actually declare a war. So this at least slows things down. In my opinion, it doesn't even go far enough, but it's a great, um, you know, it's a great step in the right direction. Yeah. yeah and I, I remember one of the memes of Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 was that the National Guard was not available to help people of New Orleans because they were in Iraq. They were in the Middle East. So oh, yeah, that was brought up the, today, actually. Oh, yeah. What's the percentage read of of National Guard's service members that are actually involved in all these wars, you know, around the world? Isn't that part of the campaign? It's actually a larger percentage than people even realize, like maybe 60 percent or something like that. I don't know off the top of my head, to be honest. So I can't uh, say that just statistic with certainty. But, yeah, it's, it's very high. So. That's why I love Ron Paul's little letter of marquee when he wanted to privatize the operation to go get bin Laden after 9-11, he's like, wow, we'll yeah. spend about 30, 50 million. We could hire some bad dudes to go over there and find a six foot six tall Muslim on dialysis with a cane in some cave in Afghanistan, <laughs> you know, kind of based actually. It's like, all right, maybe we want Eric Prince for one thing. We'll get Eric Prince for one. We'll give, we'll give him and his Blackwater ghouls, 30 million to go get bin Laden's head and put it on a silver platter and serve it with Big Macs to everybody. Okay. We're we going to put him. bin Laden's, excuse me, we're going to put his head on a, a charcuterie board. Okay. It's 2022. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have carrots. We're going to have pita bread. It's going to be tremendous. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam, is it, is it true, Adam? You might be able to speak to this that bin Laden was actually in Pakistan on September 10th, the night before 9 11, being protected by Pakistani, uh, you know, brass. Is that has that been debunked or is that actually what do you think about that story? He was on the border of Afghanistan where if we're going by the historical documents uh, that we know that uh, he actually was in Afghanistan. But then when the uh, U.S. military invaded, um, one of the first things he did was he was with Dr. Ayman al-Zawahiri and Suleiman Abu Ghaith, who's a media and military committee leader. And basically they did a public video which through their media arm called Ask Sahab Media, released a video condemning the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. So afterwards, when they, after they did that video, they basically, uh, he, he left to Waziristan and some of his own family went to Iran because he felt that they would be safer in Iran than they would be in Afghanistan, you know, because they would be sought out and killed. But in, Af in Iran, which is not an ally to bin Laden or the Saudis, they basically put them under house arrest. And so what the what the Iranians did was basically they got his son Saad bin Laden and uh, one of his wives, and they basically met U.S. officials in 2002, uh, 2001, late 2001, and said, um, "We will give you bin Laden's family for free with nothing in return." And the Americans turned it down. And really? the reason why is because I like to think that with Al Qaeda in Iran, they basically say, "Aha, you see, they're harboring terrorists." Isn't that to, what the Fox News article that came out 
just a couple of days ago saying Iran was harboring Al Qaeda. You know, yeah, we, we have to go to war with Iran. And even Mike yeah. Pence was pushing that bullshit just a year or two yeah. ago. I don't know if you saw anything about that, but no. Pence was trying to say, oh, Iran was involved in 9 11. And Pence was a member of Congress when 9 11 happened. And he had some kind of, there's an interesting clip of him on Capitol Hill either talking about the attacks or anthrax. I forget, I forget the exact details, but. People forget, man. Pence, like, you know, they talk about the swamp and the deep state. Dude, that dude is swamp and deep state. You know, like he, that dude's been in the muck for a long time. But yeah, it just goes to show you that, you know, they'll use like even terrorists for their own gain. Like they'll keep them alive. For example, um, I was moderate talking about terrorists. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're what is it read? Moderate yeah, terrorists. Moderate. Yeah, yeah. Moderate, John McCain moderate, type. Moderate yeah, rebel. Exactly. Terrorist light, moderate Syrian rebel, unbelievable. They are the bud light of terrorism, okay? One calorie, just not enough, but almost enough to make sure the operation happens, quite frankly. I, I told this story to a podcast for New American Century a while back, and they didn't know about it. And a lot of people don't know what I'm going to tell you. You probably never heard of it. But what I'm going to tell you is, is that there was an operation called Jawbreaker. You've heard of that. And it was led by a CIA uh, uh, case officer named Gary Bernstein, who wrote the book, Predictably Jawbreaker. And what he said was that when they were making inroads to uh, against bin Laden and al-Qaeda, and they were just destroying them in like a few weeks' time, they had bin Laden surrounded. And they actually had them in a place called the White Mountains, which is a back entrance into Pakistan. It's right near the border of Afghanistan, Pakistan. And it's high up in the mountain area. And they had them surrounded. But they had this one back channel into Pakistan, which wasn't guarded. So Gary Bernstein actually put a call into the State Department and said um, to Tommy Franks, who's leader of SOCOM, basically said, hey, listen, I think we only need 200 Special Forces fighters and we could kill bin Laden right now. Tommy Franks, who's acting on behalf of the Bush State Department, said, no, use the Afghans. And the problem with that is the Afghans, with the right amount of money, will turn on you in a second. And so Bernstein knew about this, said, no, we can't trust them. Um, you know, just send 200 fighters. I'll even take 100. And that was rejected, too. There's another Special Forces fighter by the name of Dalton Fury. It's a nom de guerre. And basically said that he had an idea. We'll just saturate the roadways in the back with landmines so they couldn't get out. And when if they're walking, they're driving real slow, we can drop drone strikes on them and kill them all. That plan was rejected. Then he made another plan that they would take oxygen tanks on the backs climb up the mountains all the way at the tops, meet Bin Laden in the back way and block off the back. That plan was rejected. Days later, now this is where the real boom comes in. Days later, Gary Bernstein, who made all this progress in you know destroying Al-Qaeda near the point of total death, is replaced out of all of a sudden. And replaced with who? Of all people, the chief of station of Alex Station, Richard Tell me Kofor Black. Richard Blee. And who does he bring with him? Alfredo Michelle and Casey, the lead of the Yemen hub. And Gary Bernstein <laughs> wrote in his book saying, saying this, the reason why they replaced me with them is so they don't have to be interviewed by the 9-11 Commission or the Joint House Inquiry regarding what? Withholding, intentional withholding of information leading to Khalid al-Midar and Wafa Hazmi that we talked about with Reed and you guys before regarding the CIA protection of them 
which led them to the attacks of the hijacking of Flight 77. Wow. Unreal. Man, I mean, honestly, dude, the freaking USS Cole bombing is, is related to 9-11, and John O'Neill was investigating that shit, who ironically dies on 9-11 at the World Trade Center trying to help people on his second or third day as the security chief at the towers, which is another reason I wanted to invite Ray Nolashelsky on tonight. He wrote a fantastic book um, called Watchdogs Didn't Bark mm. and, um, you know, has done extraordinary research, and that's a whole another another part of this, but, like, how are we supposed to believe that the NSA or the CIA, when they say, oh, we, we you know, we didn't know, or we, we got this email, or we got this telegram or this page, and we just didn't open it, so, you know, we kind of didn't, we weren't able to look at it and tell the RFBI counterparts. That all falls apart when you look at all that stuff, I think. Yes, it does. Uh, Ray Nolashisky, by the way, and John Duffy deserve a ton of praise. They yes, barely they are ever mentioned uh, at all, and I've... I uh, must say that personally, myself, I've learned more about uh, Richard Blee and, and Michelle and Casey than from them than anybody else in the world. They also, in my opinion, uh, produced the single most important podcast, which put them in a ton of trouble, which was called Who is Rich Blee? And mm -hmm. they were the first people to uncover these names, which was a, a, a ginormous. I couldn't tell you how huge this was. And basically, Kofor Black and I think George Tennant and people in the counterterrorism unit basically wrote letters <laughs> saying, don't you dare publish those names. And we're talking about like really like Kofor Black, you know, Jesus. dangerous. There's some um, scary fucking people. Out yeah, there. well, that guy, forget it. I mean, he captured Carlos Jackal. I mean, shit. Right, right. So basically, he's, he's a hard he's dude. Still, yeah, oh man, he's like Dracula. So he, <laughs> they published the names anyway. Knowing wow. full well the CIA is going to be on their ass. They're going to want their heads will roll, Reed. Oh, my goodness. It takes guts to do that. Yeah. Guts. And I'm, wow. I'm forever thankful that they did. So what was that called and where could we see that or listen to it? Oh, I have it. On my, I have the audio uploaded on my channel. It's called Who is Rich Blee? Okay. And it's a 47-minute podcast, I want to say. And it wow. is the single most important podcast okay. I have. Folks, if Adam Fitzgerald's saying it's important, you better listen to it. You better get right with it. Get right with the Lord. Get right with Richard Blee, coferblack.com slash gov slash CIA. It's By the way, sorry, guys. I was sorry I was distracted there. I was actually no. helping Ryan because uh, Empire Unmasked got pirated onto Odyssey. And uh, I know the guys at Odyssey, so Ryan sent me the link, and I was sending it over. So apparently... The only yeah, way you can get a whole there? Odyssey easily is through Twitter. And obviously, Ryan doesn't have Twitter. So I have some of those guys' phone numbers because I know them from, you know, because I know Drew Hancock Jer and uh, Jeremy. Jeremy Kaufman, who he doesn't work with Odyssey anymore, just uh, Library, the bigger overall company. But uh, just got it taken off. So Empire Unmasked is off of Odyssey because that's uh, now that Ryan's not on YouTube, he put a bunch of stuff behind paywalls because, you know, he can't make yeah. money any other way. People so. should pay to watch that, man. That That is that is Ryan's years and years of original research. Yes. And going hard in the paint and digging up shit. And he should be paid for that, for people to see that. Yep. So that's that's great, Reed. You were able to just do all that while you're here with us in the street. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> well, a, there's yeah, not much I can add when Adam's here. Like when I'm on, I mean, I know, Adam, you're not, you're a humble guy, but. Seriously, when I'm next to Adam, all I can do is like say, so Adam, tell us about this and then go. I mean, if he says something, 
for me to be able to add anything onto it, it's a little ridiculous. Okay. I mean, he's kind of out of my league. So even in our car ride read with Adam, I I just I was reminded of stuff that I knew that I'd forgotten about, and I learned so much. Yeah, and it was uh, it was it's it's recommended, folks. If you can get a road trip together with some of your friends who are based and who give a shit, do it. Get in the car. I've already forgotten the names of all the people. Uh, <laughs> of the, the Saudi transfer of money to Khalid Al-Madar and Nawaf Al-Hazmi. Like, he just laid it out on my show not even an yeah. hour ago, and yeah. I already can't remember all their that's, names. So, you know, I have to go back and watch it, like, five or six times and be like, okay, Basnan. I have a crappy memory. And, like, yeah, I can remember yeah, how crappy memory. I can't do <laughs> I Well, it's funny when, you know, he, he was trying to remember a name of some English – you know, well, some English name, some American name, and he's like, ah, oh, what is But then he's like, Muhammad Bosni al you know, like he'll remember all those like that. And then I'll be like, I think her name was, was Joan Smith. I can't remember, you know, like, those are the ones he has trouble with. It's funny. It's so good. No, that whole road trip just reinforced my belief in humanity. And then being at the Ron Paul conference, and Adam, you know, you were getting recognized by people and read, and, and I was that, that it made me feel good to see yeah, that. Yeah, it certainly it, did. It reminded me that we are not alone and that there are a lot of people who still care and they appreciate the work that everybody here does. And um what Dude, we were doing a is based group of people. Like when we were it doing was all, when it was you, me, Adam, uh Dave, Dave DeCamp, DeCamp and Patrick Carlin all around the Dude. table. Like that's that's some anti-war energy right say, there. Say it, if there was ever gonna be a drone strike called in, it would have been at that hotel that night. You know what we were? We were the Libertarian Malaysian summit meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good, dude. That's the oh, line of the well, day. Right Eric, there. if they drone strike clip this, that. It would, clip that. they just clip that Twitter. Just hit Adam, and you know he's so much taller than the rest of us. <laughs> well, well, they, they, they could see me from their aerial photos. Right, right. Is that a guy or was it a tree? What is that? That's <laughs> yeah. the 9-11 tree, 9 11 truth tree of life, Adam Fitzgerald. He's building that's, seven. Adam Fitzgerald. That's a, it was just the Freedom <laughs> Tower. That's a tree beard from the two towers. That's so yeah. good, Adam. We were we, we, we were the 9-11 Truth Libertarian Malaysians. <laughs> That's what we were, the Libertarian Summit meeting. You know, and, and sitting oh. next to Dave DeCamp, Dave DeCamp is amazing. And Patrick McFarlane, I can't believe it. And they were fantastic. You know, people, one thing I, I do want to say is like, I think, I don't know who said it before about egos. I It's unfortunate with 9-11, and I've seen it all the time. There's a lot of egos. And, you know, I, this is the reason why I try to be as, as accessible as possible because when I first started, there was nobody. You know, Justin yeah. Raimondo was, you know, late and, you know, Ryan Dawson was in Japan. I had nobody really. And basically, I said, if I ever got to that point where they were, I wanted to be accessible as I can to the public because, you know, I, it helps to talk to somebody about this stuff. And then when I, you know, when I see people like Patrick McFarlane and Dave DeCamp, and I'm like, wow, these guys are Libertarian Institute, freak's sake. And they were human, just like me. You know, they were, you know, very friendly, all open, open. You don't have to be intimidated by these people. You know, they were great to deal with. And they're, they're, they're geniuses, those two guys, man. It's just yeah, unreal. Was, all those people, Scott Orton and all that was That was Mondo Synergy. And then, you know, Ron Paul just to bring it all home for us at the end. Yeah, and really. 80, right. 87 years old, Reed, how well he moves for his age. 
You know, when you see Dude, him, he's you believe, sentient. He knows you, what he's talking about. <laughs> you know? Wow. How, how slight he is. He's, he's adorable. Yeah. Dude, when he schooled Giuliani, though, at that debate, come on. You want to go back to, you know, something oh, like yeah. 9-11 where they tried. And, and all everything Ron Paul said has just aged incredibly. You know? Oh, he's a prophet. Dr. Ivan Alpol. That's, you know, that, that that's what he is. <laughs> I mean, I'm, Ronald, I'm just, I'm... I was, you know, when I came away from, him, I was like, my God, he's like 88. He's still like energetic. He's like full of life. And I'm like, you know, it's not a fake with him. In other words, this oh, guy yeah. really believes everything he's saying and he's with it. Like he resonates with young people because one thing I saw too, but there was a lot of young people there. Yeah. A lot of that, kids. Kids with that's it. why I said yeah. sentient because I'm not even sure that Joe Biden is sentient, you know, anymore. He's so like, well, you know, I yeah, maybe in the shower he is. But. is it like, <laughs> well, with Ashley, sure. I told Ashley about my meeting with General Ahmoud Ahmed from the ISI, and I said, Look, oh, man. my god, I grabbed him by his turban. I said, Look, man, he's had a pizza checkered rug on his head, whatever that is. I said, Look, you better. You and Ahmed Ghoul better get with the program, Buster. I'm gonna I'm gonna put some head and shoulders on your on your hair, god damn it. And we're gonna rein you in. We're gonna rein you in. You and the ISI are gonna I'm gonna so sniff awful. your dandruff. I'm gonna sniff the ISI's dandruff. And no, there's there's a great clip of uh Biden talking about that on the Senate floor about Pakistan coming to heel and deciding who they're gonna be friends with. Um, and then there's a clip of him on I don't know if it was like a C-SPAN calling thing or whatever that morning calling thing is. And he, you look at that clip. That's a 21-year-old clip. He was way more coherent than he is now. Like he's basically just uh, a mixture of Leslie Nielsen and the Naked Gun films and Inspector Clouseau add dementia and a lot of brain plaque <laughs> and a lot of bombs dropped. He's that now. But back then when he was – he's he's always been a gangster. Gangster Brandon, Mike. Dude, gangster Brandon. I mean, you add that all up, man. Come like on, man. the dude's part of the 9-11 cover-up, man. So is Senator John Keel, uh, that guy, that big the dude with the white hair with the big forehead. He met with the Pakistani ISI guy as well. Um, or no, Cornyn. Maybe I'm thinking of Cor yeah, Mahmoud Ahmed, who's you know since passed. John Cornyn from Texas. Um, uh, well, Porter Goss was a, a congressman before that. He was a CIA dude. And I right. think he was head of the CIA at one point. Porter yes, Cost he was, was. director. He met uh, Mahmoud Ahmed in New York. He was he was meeting with uh, Bob Graham, Porter Goss, and Mahmoud Ahmed. They were talking about Bin Laden on September 11, they, they, they were having brunch at him. I think they were having Pakistani <laughs> croissants, and they were having scrambled eggs, and uh, you know, slices of nice fresh fruit. And they saw that you know they saw everything happen, and they were like, "This is a disaster." We have they no had, idea. They had pieces of Daniel Pearl's head in the crepes, if you can how, believe it. How is it that one fifth of the funding for the attacks were facilitated by this guy? And I had breakfast with him, and he was a great guy. You know, he was a really good. He was a really good guy. But that's like another part of it that's so crazy is the oh, ISI chief that Biden's asked about. There's you can still find the clip somewhere online, and he's like, "Biden's all trying to be Delaware Amtrak tough." He's like, "I said, look, man." You gotta Don't make it. I grabbed him by the scruff. I grabbed him by the scruff of his neck. I grabbed him. I sniffed his wife right in front of him. I said, "Listen to me, Abu. Listen to me, Aladdin." As I sniffed his, as I sniffed his wife, I got a big woof of that. That falafel. I said, "Listen to me, Aladdin. You're gonna come to heel, or you're gonna see Uncle Joe's boot on your neck with a big tasty daisy cutter. You're gonna get daisy cut." 
So yeah, that's you know that's branded in a nutshell, man. People don't even realize that, you know. Shit, the, you uh, listen here, Aladdin. Listen to me. <laughs> you fucking I don't care how many genies you rub out of your lamp. You know, he's being the old school uncle, the racist, the old school, you know, like he's like an Archie Bunker racist, you know, Brandon's just as racist as Trump is like this whole thing about oh, how way more Trump's way more. a racist. Think, and, yeah, dude, Brandon's like, uh, you give me a fucking break, dude. Are you kidding me? He's like, you can't go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts without detecting a slight Indian accent. I'm serious. Yeah. Brandon's kind of base. You know, I, I kind of want to get him on Tower Gang. I think he'd be a lot of fun. Like if he had oh. no. If he, he had no, if he had bracket. no one like kind of keeping him in line or no teleprompter, you got him on Tower Gang and started talking about certain groups of people, he'd probably go off the handle a little bit. So, you know, I was sucking on Jill's finger the other night. <laughs> I thought to myself, I got to go visit the Saudis. Trump had his hand on the globe; he had the sword. I got to, I got to do something with them, you know. So he's uh, listen, lad. Listen, lad. Listen, fat. Listen to me, you rug merchant. Rushing here, fat. Yeah, he just, just drops. Yeah, he's just. Oh, but Mike, he did. He had breakfast with the ISI chief, didn't he? Or he met with well, Orgoss and Bob Graham did. Who headed and, up and the Biden, the, Biden the, too, though, right? Well, Biden met with him, and so did Condoleezza Rice, and she was asked about it by this based Indian reporter. Have you ever seen that clip, Adam? Of the no, Indian, I don't think Indian? I did. No. Oh, dude. So there's this Indian reporter at the White House, or or maybe it was over. I think it was at the White House asking Condoleezza Rice in this press conference about meeting with with uh, Mahmoud Ahmed from the ISI and she just like shrugs it off. Like, you know, I heard he was here, but I wasn't meeting with him and she got bagged. So that footage exists, but the official white house transcript that they released totally edited out that question from that Indian reporter. Oh, wow. And this is a mainstream Indian reporter. Who's like basically like our um, associated press, but that somehow that, that guy got into the white house. Eric. He was like in there and it was, it was like, why was he, uh, you know, why was he doing these things and funny to hijackers? And why was you meeting with him? And it's like, dude, he's totally telling the truth. He's factually correct, and uh, he had Condi, he had her dead, had her dead to nuts on that. But well, I, I mentioned the name to you, Adam, uh, when we were we were at Duncan's there on our way back Sunday morning. Reed got us up at six. We were up nice and early. We were on the road yeah. by seven. What's the name of your alarm, Reed? The alarm setting? Uh, it's Timmy Trumpet. Uh, what's the name of the song? Uh, There's nothing freaks. fun about it. There's Freaks. nothing, yeah. nothing fun about it. It gets you out of bed could fast. Play, could, could you maybe play it, Reed? I mean, could we? Well, yeah, yeah, he queued yeah, up, he up for it, us. And I mentioned Syed Sheik to you, Adam, and, and you said that name gets left out a lot. Is that right? My, my yeah. mind is shot. I, well, I, don't know how I, I don't know how I forget simple things, but can remember like complicated things. I mean, Grim, this was seven in the morning. We just we hadn't had our Dunkin's yet. We were in the process of getting it. And, yeah, I need my coffee. And I, I mean, said, I said, Syed Sheik, you know, his name is, they don't mention his name a lot with the ISI wire transfer from Mahmoud Ahmed. Omar Syed Sheik. Omar Syed Sheik. It's like a yeah. triple or a quadruple agent. Yeah. yeah he's, actually, he's, he's alive, isn't he? They let him out of fucking prison. Dude, he's, he's, he's in right? house arrest. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly right. I couldn't believe okay. it. What do we got here, Reed? <laughs> I take showers with my kids every day in the Senate bath. Ashley's diaries for sale. I hope you really like reading that. Hunter's up a place and he's smoking lots of crack. Ah, the mighty trumpet brings the freaks out to the floor. The 
Okay, God, make it stop, Reed. Make it stop. Boy, it gets worse too as it goes. It gets louder. That goes that's off, and you're asking Adam about Saeed Sheik when that's going off. Well, that goes off. We, you know, Reed gets us up at six in the morning. It's like uh, we got to do this operation. We have to do it. We're we're you know we're our own Hamburg cell down there. You know, and Reed, Reed gets us up. That, that's what he uses, Mike, to to get up in the morning. That's horrifying. But it worked. That, we were on the road by that's seven. That's your alarm clock, Reed. That's my alarm. That's why I kill it as soon as possible. I just hear bah, da, 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 da. I'm like, oh my god. Dude, he is that he what the names of Israelis were listening to? <laughs> Dominic Suter had uh, Odette Elmer playing that in the van. <laughs> I've got 3,500 in the sock on my left foot. I have box cutters and traces of explosives the dog smelled. It's you almost know? similar to the Oompa Loompa song. Oompa Loompa Loompa Dee Doo. It's almost like yeah. like a 1950s sort of like theme song or something. That's crazy. But, um, yeah. You know, Adam, that's yeah. the big thing. I, I should have written a list out, but the Dominic Suter urban moving systems is the biggest thing we probably – I mean, you can branch out to tons of shit on 9-11, but th that's yeah. one I should have asked you about on my show. I kind of forgot. Well, I'll just have to do another show again. But Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, he, there's a lot of history behind that. Yeah. I mean yeah. – uh, that story about Pennsylvania uh, in Pennsylvania is more illuminating to me than you know yeah. the damn Israelis. You know? Right. Yeah. So, so someone associated Adam with uh, urban urban movers and Dominic Suter, you know that that top company. There was other moving companies, and Dawson ha has a real command on this stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure you've looked at it. But basically, there was two of them driving in a van not far from the Shanksville site. Is that yeah, what you're referring to? Yeah. These names. Now, I'll name the names because it's Roy Barack and Modi Bupul. Um, now these guys basically worked in, uh, they, they, when they, when they were detained by the FBI, the FBI found out that these guys, unlike the Danzig Israelis, these guys actually worked for signals intelligence in Israel. Um, so they had like, you know, a real more, I guess they were more important operatives than the Danzig Israelis. Um, think about these two guys basically, um, are linked to a theory that I'm working on that I, I talked about in Reed's show, uh, regarding about. Uh, Zaid Al-Jara and his family, the Al-Jaras in Lebanon, and their links to Israeli intelligence. Um, what I like, my theory is that um, Zaid Al-Jara was never on the plane and that he's actually an Israeli operative because he's never really religious, lives separately from the hijackers, even lives in a, in a hotel room away from the Muslim hijackers just two days before 9-11. Um, basically, his family is involved with Israeli intelligence. Ali Al-Jarrah, Asim Al-Jarrah, Joseph Al-Jarrah. And, uh, you know, guy is never a fundamentalist, doesn't fit it. There's actually a video out there, hard to get now, um, basically showing Zia Al-Jarrah doing his martyrdom will. And mm. he's laughing in it. He can't hold wow. a straight face. You can find um, those for sale in New York City on the rugs with sex with uh, the Paris Hilton <laughs> sex tape. You can get those. Yeah. Down in the yeah, gallery. Like price yeah. of two bucks or something. But yeah, basically, um, Roy Barak and Modi Bupal were driving from a client, I think either in Chicago, I always get this wrong, Chicago or Ohio, and they left on September 11th. They come back September 12th. They're detained because the bolo's out for urban movie systems trucks. And you, they, they are stopped in York, Pennsylvania, name of the town. So Pennsylvania State Police say, hey, you know, what's your name? So do you work there? So to, to reassure that they work at urban movie systems, they call Dominic Suter. They say, hey, do Roy Barak and Modi Bupal work for you? And he said, yeah. Um, did they actually move a client? And they said, no, because due to the prior day's events, we didn't have a client outside the state of New Jersey. 
And they and he said, well, how do you explain this? And Dominic Suda says, I'm strange, I can't. And so they're detained by the FBI, right? The FBI actually calls Dominic Suda for a second interview. Come on in. We want to talk to you. Now that we got these two guys, what does Dominic Suda do? Flees to Israel. Leaves behind the entire moving company. And John Miller was the first. Remember John Miller, 2020. He goes and does an expose. And it's probably the most important one of all. He goes inside the warehouse because the landlord of the warehouse opens up. And what did he find? An entire warehouse full of furniture. Never delivered. There's mm -hmm. a voice message machine, 99 plus calls. You know, it's all the clients. Where's my furniture? Oh, they never God. delivered it. Yeah. So the FBI basically went through all the computers they had. Some small makeshift uh, warehouse. 16 computers. 16 hard drives. And the only person to ever file a freedom of information request for it was John Masseria. And his request was denied. Instead, they gave him the FBI redacted reports and the East Rutherford police reports. That's where that came from. Yeah. And, What's and the Freedom of Information Act that Ryan applied for? What was that one for? Um, that was uh, alluding to, I think, the photographs. I want to say the additional photographs that weren't released. And that okay. came from uh, um, a um, an account called Pepe the Frog or something like that on Twitter. It's like some uh, fake profile, <laughs> but he actually was successful. I dropped that nugget on you that, that I know John Basaria in person. Yes, and, yeah, and okay. He was on right. set for my Jesse Ventura interview. It all it all comes full circle, Adam. Actually, <laughs> we have, actually, it's great you mentioned Jesse Ventura. We have a ten five dollar uh, oh. uh, chat here, Eric, from Kiwi Farmer. In honor of 9-11, can we get a Jackman Ventura <laughs> rambling about the towers getting hit with space lasers and thermite? Governor Ventura, tell us about Judy Woods and the uh, <laughs> space lasers. All I'm going to say is the Death Star was very active on 9-11, if you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> Judy Wood had reports about the Death Star being at DEFCON 4 mode. And no, nobody, Adam, why has nobody investigated that? Why has nobody looked into that? Judy Wood, I think, and Jim Fetz are the only ones who've looked at it. Okay. <laughs> Governor Ventura, where did, where did they get enough energy to hit, hit the, the buildings with the, with the space lasers? Well, one theory I have, and Donald Trump, and this is one area where me and him agree. Rosie O'Donnell was seen in many Golden Corral buffets in the TriStar area. <laughs> so, excuse me, someone had to do something with all that gas and energy that Rosie O'Donnell had pent up. I think that she was seen in Lower Manhattan and some dangle from Al Qaeda letter there or the ISI or Mossad, and they said, go, to, go down there to the World Trade Center after you eat Golden Corral and fart. And I think that, that could that, that's plausible. It's I'm not saying it's excuse me. I'm not saying it's definite. You're just asking questions. I'm, a, I'm asking a question. I'm saying it's plausible that Rosie O'Donnell's flatulence led to the collapse of all three towers on 9 11. Yeah, the, the, the best part of Eric's impressions are when he does the whether it's Trump or Ventura, excuse me, and then yeah, Ventura, excuse me. <laughs> I will. I will read. Excuse me. I was a Navy SEAL, so no matter what your argument is, you're gonna lose because I was me, a Navy. I was a Navy SEAL. Excuse me. I was a Navy SEAL. Adam, excuse me, Adam. I was a Navy. 
when Phil from All That Remains, I was like, excuse me. Remember when Rosie O'Donnell talked about Building 7 on The View? How fucking incredible was that? Did you guys ever see that? I have. I, I couldn't believe it at the time. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. What did now, you, you know, by the way, Eric, let me, uh, Mike, let me ask you. When that happened, was it true that she got let go of The View because of that? Or It wasn't long. I mean, she was clashing with um, Joy Behar, uh, Hasselback, and of course, and I don't know if Whoopi was on there yet. She may have been. Um, but yeah, Ro you know, I got to give it to Rosie, man. She brought up a lot of, she she actually tried to get William Rodriguez on the view. There was some behind oh, the scenes stuff. Right? Wow. Oh, yeah. We, we had, we had <laughs> Willie, Willie came. What's that, Adam? Now we're talking, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. that's. Oh, dude. So um, we had Willie come and speak at Eric's College back in like May of 2007. Oh. And there's footage of all that somewhere. I, I think I actually mentioned the ISI in my introduction, or I was interviewed that day, and I mentioned the ISI, which is, mm. of course, has nothing to do with the, the collapse of the towers. And that's where so much of the 9-11 stuff has been focused on. And, and we're, we're mentioning Building 7. Um, but, you know, Rosie hey was guys, friends I with Willie. Oh. oh, what, Reed? I just I got to bounce, so... Um... Okay. Thanks for having me on. Sorry, I, I don't feel like I added much, but thanks for having me on. Um, I think just I think just having Reed here was very comforting. Was comforting, yeah. Just <laughs> it was very comforting. Reed, just yourself is always a pleasure. I mean, yeah, it's you know, fun. I'm the guy from antiwar.com. I wrote the book enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. <laughs> Dude, that's a great Scott Horton. <laughs> Folks, they uh, did it anyways. They did yeah, it anyways. Mike. They killed yeah, they all were of like, them. We're not going to fund. Lot of nights came out of the woodwork. What they say? We're not going to send a crate. We're not going to send a crate of super soakers full of acids. All these Bin Laden nights, and they did anyways. And they had them in there, and they used the squirt guns full of acid that was in a crate from Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they killed all of them. But they armed the ones in the next fucking village. And it's like, what are you doing? And that's yeah. read the book and the war on terror. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> Do we love Lord Horton? We're gonna have him on again. Well, he's he's a treasure. He's well, Reed, thanks, Reed, for coming on, man. You're doing the Lord's yeah. work, Reed. And you're in your fucking tweet about me Megan McCain, man. Dude, thanks for having the balls to do that and oh tell the God, truth me. about that piglet. Some people are like, Oh, you would never have made that if you had to put your name on it. And I was like, uh, well uh, <laughs> I kinda did Reed's make like, it. It's like either me or like one other person. Yeah, it reads like it's me or one other person, you know. <laughs> She's a little piglet. She's a you know that song War Pigs by Black Sabbath? We should they have a That's new her. one. It's called War War Piglet. It's about her. Yeah, War Piglet. Because we don't want to misgender her. But Fuck. guys, follow follow Reed Coverdale. Reed, where can people follow you? What do you got coming up? Bring us home. Well, I just had the great Adam Fitzgerald on my show, and we talked about a lot of the same stuff that we talked about here. Go check that out. Uh, Sticks, who just did his debate with Dave, he's actually coming on my show Tuesday morning. No, um, dude, no way. Wow. I think he's in Vermont. Is he in Vermont? No, he's in the Netherlands. Dude, he's so based. <laughs> he he looks like the guy from that that uh, documentary, um, Great American Pitcher, or uh, what's his name, Mark Bouchard. Coven. Well, we're gonna we're gonna see how based he is. I'm gonna ask him about the bone saws and the dings and see what he says. So. <laughs> Oh, and he's a he's a big Trump supporter, right? He's like a big Trump guy. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. We listened to his debate. He's like, I mean, he he doesn't think Trump was good enough, but he he supports him regardless. Like he thinks he's an improvement. In other words, sticks ideals are not what Trump was, but he 
thinks he was like about the best we could ever hope for, basically. But I'm not going to rehash the debate. I'm going to be talking about different stuff with him. Mm. So tune in for that. And if Tulsi Gabbard ever acknowledges my existence again in the future, she's welcome on at any time. So, <laughs> but, oh, that'd be great. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm going to run. So, thanks, Reed. We'll see you soon, man. Brother. All right. We'll see you. Have a good one. Aloha, Tucker. Is what we say. <laughs> Reed Coverdale, the host of the Naturalist Capitalist, Liberty Uniter, the host of the Four Horsemen. Um, just a, a great guy and and uh, some mm. you know a, a very young guy too. I think he's in his twenties. He's in his like late twenties. He's like twenty eight. Is he? Oh, yeah. he's in his. He's a young yeah. pup. <laughs> Adam, oh, you, were like, you were like, "How old are you guys?" And Reed's like, "I'm twenty eight. And I was like, "I'm almost thirty six. You're like, "God damn, I'm in my fifties. I'm in my yeah, fucking I'm the oldest when I'm around somebody. I don't know how that works. You know, this is no good. It happens quickly. It happens very yeah. quickly. I'm like the Mr. Magoo of 9-11. This is no good. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is, man. It's it's serious information, um, but you do have to have a sense of humor about it. And over the oh, years, um, we've done conferences with 9-11 survivors, family members, and that, that's a common thread of behind-the-scenes conversations that I've had with a lot of them, is that you will lose your mind if you don't have a sense of humor about this stuff. And, um, you know, because it is so horrific and... and right. uh, so real and in, in, in everyone's face, but the whole never forget adage, hashtag never forget. I think doing stuff like this is, is really how you honor that, you know, how you really never forget. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you do um, honor when, when you talk 9 11 in the context that it deserves, you actually honor the fallen and the victims of it uh, regarding um, the seriousness of the nature. And you know what? It's good to do videos and stuff like that, but I'm not content on just doing videos because I actually want to go to court. And to try to do that, I'm going to try and ascertain as much information as I can to build a case against somebody. But if you're just going to do videos and basically talk about, uh, you know, the, the fringe conspiracies and what's hot and what's not, I mean, that's fine too. But, I mean, don't sit there and say you're actually – uh, doing activism while you're doing it. You're not. You're actually um, doing more harm than good because you're keeping alive these theories that basically uh, ruins the movement that you're trying to build. And, and one thing about my channel is that what I'm trying to do is basically share information in the hopes of getting other people to open up their channels and then they reach a bigger audience. And that's how you build a real truth movement, a truth movement involved with people that have facts and information and not just beliefs and conjecture. Because you can't do anything about that. With facts and conjecture, something tangible, you can actually go to court and make a difference. And then you can honor the victims of September 11, 2001 that way. Definitely, Adam. And I think, you know, there's a great quote, honor, honor, the, uh, honor the dead with the pursuit of the truth. And that, to oh, me, yeah, has, cool. has always been, I relate that to the Iraq War. I relate that to 9-11, mm -hmm. these two big events in my lifetime. Um and that's that's the for the family members, the first responders, the people who died on 9-11 and the people that have died since from the health issues from Ground Zero, which we weren't even able to get into tonight. Our troops who have been killed in the Middle East based on those lies and all the people in all their sovereign countries that were invaded based on the pretext of that day who have lost their lives. That's really what this is all about. It's such yeah. a it's such a big global thing. And. You know, you still have family members fighting. I mean, you have all those family members who were protesting outside of Trump's golf course just a month ago. Right. You know, um, with the Saudis that were funding this, this uh, they're, they're trying to rehab their image and they're trying to run away from it. But the reality is there's still a court case going on. 
there's still there's still lawsuits going on that the family members are involved in the people who actually lost siblings children parents um you know aunts uncles cousins friends on 9-11 that is still going on it's not in the news every night obviously we're doing this stream on the day of so people might be hearing this information for the first time but this is an ongoing thing 21 years later um that is still relevant still important and it still matters and it still impacts a lot of people so that's why it's important to me and that's why i'm going to continue to talk about it until uh, you know i, I I'm just a brain in a jar or something in the metaverse. <laughs> sure. I, you know, like, like it's the hope when I see people like yourselves, young people like yourselves, talk about the, the topic in the manner it deserves, you know, because sometimes I tend to lose faith and I'm a hopeless pessimist as it is. Yeah. Someone the other day called me the Robert Smith of 9-11, and I basically said, well, Ooh. I probably agree with that a little bit in a way. Minus the fucking wig and the makeup and right, the, exactly. you know. the sad face, you know. Ha Halloween, Adam, you should dress like that for Halloween. I should. <laughs> the thermal detonator, you know, as. Uh... Don't give me ideas. Uh, <laughs> I'll be on the camera, you know, singing like plane song with 9 11 in the background. That's amazing. Wow. Did you ever see the clip of Robert Smith at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It was in like 2019. And this young, beautiful, sassy reporter, this, this gal, is all like, oh, it's amazing. You finally. You're in Robert Smith, the Cure is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What do you think? He's like, yeah, I guess, I guess it's great. Uh, he's, like, he's like, oh, that's great. Dude, he right. can give two shits. Yeah, he can't. He doesn't care. No, he doesn't care. Because the awards don't mean nothing to him. Right. And the awards mean but, nothing. But his work speaks for itself. Oh, and, it's and so, so does yours, Adam. And so people whose heart are in the right place with this stuff. It might well, not I, be. It could be years down the road, man. The work always speaks for itself. Well, I I think you guys give me too much praise, but really, thank you very much. Uh, and I always love to come on your shows. You guys are a breath of fresh air, and it's something that is desperately needed. Even you were you spoke a lot of truth regarding depressing subjects that need to be humorized, and you know, with a human face behind it. And it's so true. Yeah, I think they they do. It needs to be talked. It's not talked about enough. We're all in a stupor of sports and medication and our jobs and. The, you know, the reality that's put forth uh, in front of all of us on the TV screen that we don't even. But we all stuff. suffer the policies and the life conditions because of 9-11. Anybody who's traveled since that day, you're dealing with, with that when you go through TSA. TSA was created because of 9-11. Right, exactly. And there's so many people who travel now that were born after 9-11. They don't understand or know what a life was like traveling before that or living or existing before that. Right. And we do, and we won't forget it. That's right. You should. And, um, you know, Fire Pixie, I saw that comment on the screen. And, um, you know, you actually aren't puke. You know, you're, you matter, and you're a person that does matter. And um, just because of you having interest in this subject um, brings me uh, uh, much-needed hope and change for the future because, you know, I, like I said, I always think of the worst, and I'm like, nobody's really interested. I've been... I almost quit a couple of times. You know, I just said, you know, I, I just want to do away with this stuff. But when I see the Jackman brothers and I see fire picture, you in the comments, you know, I know who you are. I see you. And just because I don't acknowledge some of you as by names, I know Eddie Grimm. I know Texas. I know fire pixie JC. I see you guys build Denmark. I do see you guys. And believe me, it's appreciative because you guys come to my videos a lot. You make comments and stuff. And I'm very, very appreciative and humbled even to anybody that even wants to show interest, 
much less vested interest in this very depressing subject. And you make me want to keep going and it's awesome. worth and it's worth it. It really is. It is. It is. And and, that, and that's exactly it. You know, it, it is worth it. It's worthwhile. And there's so much energy expelled towards meaningless, frivolous bullshit. And there are still a lot of people, as you saw at the Ron Paul conference, I'd say there was probably close to 500 people there. Oh, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. There's still a lot of people who give a damn and who know that we're lied to every day and that we're sold a bill of goods and that we can actually speak out against the warfare state, the empire, all the shit that's done in our name. Because you go around the world and, you know, depending where it is, what country it is, and Americans are guilty of this too, other countries and other parts of the world have a perception of Americans and, and, and what we are all about and who we are. Um, you know, I, I really did my first big traveling in 2009. I went over to Sweden and to Ireland. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I, I stayed in a um, hostel with people in Stockholm, Sweden, from like six or seven di different countries. And one of them was a young French guy who was my age. And he was so refreshed to hear my critiques of George W. Bush and the war on terror in the Iraq war. And he, it, this was the first time an American, he ever met an American face to face who said, the French government was absolutely correct in not joining that coalition to destroy Iraq and murder over a million people. So we we have you know it can have an impact, man. And that that, yeah. that moment wasn't lost on me. It was refreshing because you know we we just we have we have the propaganda that's that's given to us and hurled at us and weaponized day in and day out all the time. It's just on a, it's on a constant right. constant gristmill. And if you're not aware of it and, and if you're not on guard about it man it just it does it does your thinking for you and that's that's what happens to so many americans and you know people around the world hmm. but uh that was a moment i'll never forget man that was that oh, was really, it was it, it, it was it was interesting because that frenchman had a view of americans of like a george bush caricature gunslinging western well, right right shoot, yes, shoot yes. first ask questions later you know right. so and just, then you come along and change that whole perception yeah, yeah. I said the war in Iraq is disgusting. It's a disgrace. I'm I'm ashamed that of what my government did. Right. I'm horrified by it, and uh, I will use every every uh, bit of uh, power and energy and platform and resource I have to speak out against it, and show you that there are a lot of Americans who are against it. We were against it then. We're against it now, right. and we've we've always taken a stand against war and the killing of innocent people. And that's what's the unifying aspect of the Ron Paul Libertarian Institute is anti-war and uh, something I can agree with and then go along with. And not just the Iraq war, but any war. I mean, any war in general. Um, so we're not just flashing the pans. We, we really mean it. Um, but we need a lot more people on our side to join us. And, you know, I think there are. I think there's a lot of people in the fence. You know, they don't know what to do regarding joining sides. But you don't have to join a side. You don't have to choose uh, poison, so to speak. You know what? There is a way out of that game. And you have to just detach yourself from the proverbial IV in your arm that's feeding you about all this blue and red political divide, uh, what sex you are, what religion you are, what race you are. You know what? None of that matters. You know what? You were born a human being without any divisive worldviews. You're taught this later on. Just like it alludes to the matrix itself later on, that the world isn't shaped the way it is. And if you just get rid of this army, you saw the world for what it really is, which is one big gray ball, 
then you can understand people better and accept them for what they are. But as soon as like more people unplug from this proverbial IB, we're going to be stuck in this for a little while. But with people like yourselves, Jackman Brothers and Reed and Dave Smith and um, a lot of other people like Dave DeCamp and Kyle Lanzalone and all those guys, um, I think we have hope. And that's why I went with you guys to Libertarians because I wanted to see what you guys were really about. And I really came away impressed. And I'm not impressed by a lot of much. When I saw a lot of young people and I saw how you wait treat people i said i'm gonna hitch my ride with these guys yeah well that, that, that's beautiful adam i appreciate that and yeah. um yeah the, i mean the, the libertarians are not perfect you know i'm not a member of the party but i align with them i'm adjacent right. to them and i support what they're doing and you know at this point i plan on voting for them say what you will about voting you know i voted with them in the past i'll probably do it again for the upcoming midterms and oh, I'd vote the for election yeah sure but um yeah, it's 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 just that deeper way of looking at things and thinking about it, and um, being being concerned about what is being done around the world and and, and taking a stand against uh, the, what the the permanent Washington warfare state has done. So that's awesome. You know, Mike, I, Mike, I appreciate you putting this together today, man. This was all Mike. The stream yeah, was all Mike. Mike, today. Mike you're, the wow. man. you're the man. Hey, oh, thank you guys. You yeah, you guys are great, and it is. It's big picture stuff, and. Um, you know the the libertarian party and their platform they're, they're just right on about it i mean they and they always have been and right. maybe they haven't had the best messengers and i mean in all fairness they always get denigrated and treated like shit in the media and by all the political class um who are always wrong you know the democrats and republicans are always allowed to be wrong over and over again mm. for decades i mean i've been here 35 years and um They've been wrong my entire life about everything, about every big issue of consequence. Right. All of our foreign policy yeah. adventures or misadventures, really. I mean, it's not uh, people who say, well, Bush made a mistake with Iraq. No, it wasn't a mistake. That was a very deliberate you know, calculation. And um, it wasn't Bush so much that was behind it as it was you know, his father and people from his cabinet, like Dick Cheney and Brent Scowcroft and, um, you know, Wolfowitz and, and and Bremer and all those neocons who have been around behind the scenes. And they're still around. I mean, they're, they're still very much involved with the Democratic Party. And they don't care who they have to align with as long as they get the outcome that's desired for them. And, you know, right now, the Libertarian Party and, and like Reed's tweet, man, that was a shot across the bow, dude. That's like that moment in the movie 300, when one of those yeah. soldiers throws that spear and it yeah, hits, yeah. The, you, know, it hits, you know, the hits, king with his nose piercing and his fucking gold gaudy shit he's got going yep. on. Whoa, he he wounded me a little bit. There's a little blood right. coming off my cheek. That's what that moment reminded me of. Yes, that's a great analogy, by the way. <laughs> that's a great right. Analogy. I mean, that's God really what it can bleed. Yes, he can. It, you know, it's it's like uh, you know Arnold said in the Predator: "If it bleeds, I can kill it." And it's, uh, <laughs> the system is so fragile, man. They, they, yeah, they, right. They're propped up by illusion. They're propped up by an appeal to authority. And the power is the power that we give them. Okay. They're not powerful. They don't know right. anything. Most of them right. are fucking right. stupid and incompetent and a bunch of bumbling, blubbering jackasses <laughs> who don't have anything behind them other than the perceived and fictitious power that we give them and that we allow them. That's the only power that they have. They don't have any power. They don't have any art or poetry or sympathy or any kind of humanity behind them. They're a bunch of bloodthirsty fucking vampires who prey off of people all across the world and their fears. And, and, and it's, it's been exposed time and time again. And it's so fictitious and so frivolous and, and just 
just a vapid fucking illusion, really. It's like the you know Wizard of Oz or the Emperor has no clothes, whatever mm -hmm. analogy you want to call it. That's really all it is. And mm -hmm. that the whether it's the war on terror, the last couple of years with COVID nineteen eighty four, everything they've done in the name of trying to keep us safe and protect us, and we know what's best for you. It's all a lie. It's all bullshit. It's all about consolidating their power, enriching their pockets and their cronies and their friends and their agenda. And that's it. And they want to pit the rest. They want to pit the rest of us against each other. And they've been doing that for for my whole fucking life. And for me, it's it's very obvious, but maybe not for a lot of people. But that that's how I see it. And I think 9/11 was their catalyst for the last couple of decades. And that's why it's still important to talk about. Mike, that's gospel. <laughs> I can't add anything <laughs> to that, brother. That's how I feel. Right. That's, that's how, how I feel Mike. about it. Right. That's yeah. Mike. So. Anyways, we're coming up on almost an hour and 35, and, uh, you know, I I'm sorry for the audience or anyone else who thought we were going to have other people joining. I invited them, and, you know, it didn't happen, but I want to do more panels like this. I mean, I think we should do a 9-11 show once a month where it's just we have a panel. We have, a, you know, we have experts or people who are, who are familiar with this topic to come on and just continue to talk about it. It shouldn't just be on the anniversary, and obviously... We don't just talk about it on the anniversary, but that's when the most people are paying attention, unfortunately. So we got to—that's what we got to do. True, um, but yeah, I agree with that. You know, it's something I, I'm trying to think of myself. Like, I try to do as much content as possible. I try to like interject everywhere, written or video, or even uploading files and documents every day. But um, yeah, I love the idea of like maybe once a month something to do with 9/11 because. With 9 11, there's so many things you could go into, like, you know, the lead up to it, what came after it, what's coming from it, uh, what happened on the current day. There's so much. I mean, you could go and talk about so many different things about uh, 9 11 itself. And, and it's just like it's never ending. And plus, too, every single day that passes after 9 11, you know, there's new things that we learned about it, too. There's disclosure. Yeah, there's some disclosure. There's a little bit of nugget that comes out on page six or page seven. I mean, tonight I wanted to kind of talk about the war games. We didn't even really get into the war games. I don't oh know if that's God. it. There's a great, there's a great conversation starter, right? That's a, that's a whole episode. So, sure. yeah, why don't we plan on that? Because I've never asked you, well, I've never gotten your full take, Adam, on the war games because I've heard different things from other people I respect and trust mm. about 9-11 information. And I would love to hear the Adam Fitzgerald treatise. On sure. the war games, but folks, you're going to have to tune into another episode for that. Thank you, JC, for the sticker, the chat. Yeah, so I mean, you know, September 11th, 2022. I'm glad we did this. Um, I didn't. I didn't want to just argue with people on social media or Facebook or talk about it on like a thread. I wanted yeah. to do a, a show about it and a live stream, and that's really the whole point of Jacqueline Radio is to talk about these big issues and be able to have a long form conversation and really kind of get into some of the nitty gritty. Um, you know, in a very real way. So, Adam, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, oh. Um, you guys are a treasure, and uh, I will always come on your show, and I'm always humbled when you ask me to, and I can't thank you both enough for having me on. I really do. Absolutely. You. Well, Adam is the host of The Darkened Hour. Um, you go on YouTube, type in Adam Fitzgerald. You can find all his videos. He's on Facebook. Um, he's available. He's, uh, he's up at all hours looking at this stuff, folks. You know, he's, he's, he's studying this stuff around the clock. He's got the brain for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Dracula. I just, uh, I just, I can't, I can't sleep. I, uh, you know, just, I, I think I'm gonna be like 90 years old, just like shaking my head. You know, Osama bin Laden, bin Laden. <laughs> but also, wow. folks, Adam is a lot of fun to hang with and to party with, 
and to to be. To I just be need with, I just need a little motivation. That's it. I to, guess you know. <laughs> to be with in real life. Uh, you know, if you could have been at our Malaysian summit down there in Virginia, you would you would have loved it. But uh, do you think the CIA and the FBI were watching the Ron Paul summit, or do they do they even care? At this I point? know what, would it, would it shock you if that Name was the case? Spot the glowy. <laughs> Right, but no, being serious, would that would that shock you if that was? The case? We we were, I mean, we were right in their backyard. I pointed out to you guys. We drove past the exit where the CIA was there on our way to, to Dulles, to to where the um. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot. And, that's and, right. And, we, and Adam, we weren't far from NSA. You yeah, know, we weren't. Um, oh, right. That's like that scene in JFK where Kevin Costner as Jim Garrison is is on the street where Guy Bannister's office is he's with a, the CIA. He's like, see, I ran over there. Oh, Right, naval, naval intelligence. Right, exactly. Oh. <laughs> I don't know all the lines, but he's like, doesn't it strike you a little bit odd that uh, yeah, you know, right. uh, Guy Bannister, former FBI, John Bircher's office is right here on this street, and around the corner is where Lee Harvey Oswald was doing the fair play for Cuba. Doesn't that strike you a little bit odd, boys? That dog don't hunt. That's another. That's a whole other. <laughs> it was fire pixie. We I love think, you. I think we'll, we'll there'll be something again, Adam. There'll be there'll be another trip or a conference or. Or something, and I, I even floated this to read. I think it would be amazing if, if Mike and I and all of us could put together a conference with the best and the brightest, um, and, and what we know, and we could get a conference center and do our own thing. So that'd be cool. Oh wow, that maybe be great. maybe is something to plan for for next year because you know, Mike, you and I, we've, we have experience doing this kind of shit. We've planned conferences and brought a lot of people together. Yeah. And yeah, we, we did a conference in Key in 2008, and we were really that the, only, the that. first one to veer away from controlled demolition. And we caught a lot of flack from the local truth community and the 9 11 truth, uh, truth movement to not just focus on controlled demolition. But we had like Barry Zwicker, we had Daniel Hopsicker, Sandra Hicks, um, Michelle Little, Bob McElvain. Uh, we had some great people there with a lot of great information. Um, yeah. But, so yeah. It's, it's, anyways, that's in, that's in the ether right now, but I think it's it's definitely something you know, you and I, Mike, we have experience putting things on and bringing people together. Yeah, and if the audience likes that idea and wants to see something like like that happen, and and wants to support you know the physical space that we're going to be moving into this month, feel free to support us. But we love doing this. Uh, thank you guys very much, um, and to everybody in the world that was affected by 9/11. I love you. I, I think about it all the time, and uh, we're never going to stop. Cheers.